How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the ChopFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChopFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourself as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SpearChop10 for $10 off your ChopFit order. It'll change your life. Thank you. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to today's episode of Spear Talk. We have an incredible guest. We have Tony Blauer. Tony is a personal defense and combatants consultant, the founder of Blauer Tactical Systems, the Spear System, motivational speaker, teacher. Uh, you, you run the gamut of all sorts of things, training, and it's a very fortunate to have you on the show today, Tony. Yeah, thank you, man. I remember. You know, it was funny when I saw your your podcast, and you've had some like like some incredible guests and people that I know we're mutual friends with. And then I'm like, Spear Talk. I need to be on a show called Spear Talk. Like, like I'm the Spear guy. Let's what's Spear Talk? So, so it was kind of funny. It was it was funny. So I'm glad I'm glad we were able to link up, and I'm happy to be here and. and share whatever I can with your audience. I love it. And uh, I know recently um, you just did some uh, seminar again with Brad Rogers and our mutual friend Jason Johnson was down there. Um, and so I guess kind of my first question is, as you put yourself out there, when you start putting yourself out there, I'm sure one of the big things I've always come across in my field is there's a lot of ego out there. Do you find that that could be conducive to a negative working environment, especially if some of these seminars where God forbid there is someone there that is thinks they are better than what they are representing. Um, you mean like 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 some uh, uh, asshole heckler in the audience, or yeah, well, there's that too. But or do you ever come across instructors that they might have a great background, they actually might be a great instructor, but there's this ego about them that actually holds them back from being a great teacher? Do you ever run across That's, that? Uh, yeah, no, of, of, of course, and. Listen, in in some ways, if if you if you meaning us cultivate the the highest level of self-awareness. So I'm I'm turning 61 in May. If I think about, you know, my first interview talk was 1980 for Black Belt magazine. And while I would like to think you weren't even born then, right? And I'm just guessing. I know. Well, I was born in five. Right. So there you go. So 1980, I was 20 years old, in, and you know, I flew across. And this is a funny story because you're talking about the pejorative ego. Pejorative is a big fancy word for, uh, you know, negative ego. Because right. anyone, anyone who you work with, celebrities, right? Right. So like every one of those celebrities has an ego because if you didn't think you had something to share with the world, you'd never get up on stage. You need to have a positive ego uh, to go, man, I'm a good singer, I'm a good guitarist, or I'm a good athlete or whatever. But then you've also met athletes that you've had to you know, do some executive protection for that were complete pricks, right? right. So they had the artistic ego that said, let me share whatever gift or whatever skill I have with, with the world. And then, you know, you got this person and they're like, hey, thank you, no problem. You know, uh, they're, no, 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 I got that. They're like, you know, and then there's the other person going, hey, aren't you gonna grab my bags? You know, like, aren't you gonna open the door for me? Like, so philosophically, look, like my wife has a t-shirt, it's one of my favorite shirts. It says, don't be an asshole. <laughs> on her shirt, right and and like some people are just assholes when i i don't drink a lot but when i drink i get i get even funnier than i am now i'm, I'm joking but i but i'm i get mellow i mellow out um and you all know people that they get drunk and they break shit and have fights and 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 shit like that so i think if you're an asshole for whatever reason whether you can fix it or not um that will hold you back in any aspect of life uh, but specifically, I don't know, you know, went down this rabbit hole with you that if you're a really good instructor and you think you're, you're, I mean, like I was just at this event where I'm there with Tim Larkin, right? 
Tim Larkin, target focus, uh, you know, uh, uh, what is it? Target, target focus, focus yeah. And he's written a number of books. I mean, Anthony Robbins brings him to his events to teach. If you ask Tim, Tim, who's better, you or Tony? He's a professional. He'll go, well, we both have the same philosophy and, and uh, you know, but I do things a little bit different and Tony's a friend and then, and then, and then. But in the back of his mind, he's going, well, of course, I'm better than Tony, right? And if you ask me, and I'm not going to say this on your show while you're recording, um, that's a joke because I am on your show and we are recording, is I'm going to say, look, Tim and I, you know, we share the same philosophy. We want to make good humans safer, but, you know, we do things uh, differently. And of course, I'm better than Tim. And, but the joke is, and it is, it's very interesting looking at this because, you know, we've been around for decades and here we are teaching side by side. And you would think, I'm sure there were people in the industry going, wow, I wonder if they're going to fight. I wonder if they're going to bicker. I wonder if there's like any, and uh, like, and, and so, you know, here we are, I'm with my group, Tim's with his group. They take a break at a different time and we're in shared uh, um, conference areas yep. like the partitions so his group comes out and they walk through because i was in the front area because i'm better than him i they put me in the front that was a joke that was a joke tim if you're listening um but tim walks out and i say to everybody i go guys it's tim mark and i don't want him to hear any of this right and uh he goes out everyone giggles he comes back in and uh and he goes, hey, I just came up with this new system. It's called the lance, you know, which is a play on a joke instead of the spear. And then he goes back in. Everyone fucking laughs. And then, and then five minutes later, like we're teaching, and he opens the door a little bit, and he goes like this. And he pretends he's filming my class, right? And like we're fucking, we're having a blast, right? Like there's no ego. There's no competitiveness because... Tim's ego and my ego is about how can we do a better job to educate uh, ed, uh, and, and entertain people so that they learn self-defense in a way that they retain it and they have fun. Um, I've been, of course, at events where, you know, someone's walking around like, like, you know, they're fucking special. And it's, and it's, it's the analogy I gave earlier. Like you've met celebrities that are like, you go, know, that guy was really cool. And hey, listen, years ago, I worked on Rocky Five when Tommy Morrison, uh, nice. yeah. And I got to hang out with Sylvester Stallone. And I've met a bunch of people who said, yeah, I heard he's a real prick. I heard he's a jerk. I heard his, and I said, mm, man, we talked about boxing. We, we freaking shadow boxed together. We hung out, we laughed, you know, uh, uh, we went to see the, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers play together like a, I think I think a lot of a, a, a lot of times it's how you approach anybody, you know. Right. And, uh, but but yeah. So the the short answer. Sorry for rambling. The short answer is an interesting question. I've never been asked that. Um, the short the short answer is that you need to have an ego to overcome for performance anxiety and get up in front of people. Right. And that, that takes time. Like, so I believed in my system in 1980 when I went to Black Belt Magazine. A lot of people don't know this, but I threw up in the parking lot before I went in. I was so fucking nervous, you know? Oh. And, and, you know, I like, I'm like dry heaving on the side just before I pull up. I get in there. I get out of my car going, oh my God, because all I wanted to be was the next Bruce Lee. All I wanted to be was I believed I had this idea that I could make the world safer. I had this vision that was this massive mission. I got asked, what do you want to do? And, and, I, and I said to this venture capitalist, I said, I want to make the world safer. And, okay. he, and he was like, well, how are you going to do that? Like, you know, like, <laughs> I go, I don't know, man, but, but I've got this, this idea and I couldn't articulate what I can explain now that when you combine physiology, physics, and psychology, you evolve a self-defense protocol that bypasses gender and, and language and age uh, to a degree, obviously, you know, but, but, you know, in 1980, I told that Black Belt magazine editor, I said, there should be as many self-defense systems 
as there are people willing to defend themselves. In other words, if I teach you how to box and I teach 10 other people how to box and then you need to defend yourself, you're not going to look like Sugar Ray Leonard or Ali, or you're going to look like you boxing. In other words, how you throw that punch is going to be uh, how you manage fear. Are you an ectomorph? Are you mesomorph? Are you overweight? Are you in shape? Are you like it's it's so many factors that what the experts do is they look at like, oh, did you do a vertical fist or a corkscrew punch? Or it was an overhand, and they're they're getting too technical. And I, I always tell people, don't confuse technical with tactical. In a real violent encounter, you need to get tactical as quickly as you can. But anyways, I'm telling you. You shared, uh, I mean, you, I've, you've posted a bunch of before, but the story where when you got punched in the face, that's when you kind of realized that, when you kind of just talked about it, how, like, it, once you get, like, just, if you could kind of, break down like that whole kind of for people that aren't familiar or follow you. I thought it was very interesting how you talk about when you get punched in the mouth, how you came to realization that there's something at play here where you could learn from this, this type of training. Yeah. Yeah. So you're referring to the, the, the actual spear system and, and spear is an acronym for spontaneous protection, enabling accelerated response. Spontaneous protect protection is that's the body's survival system. So like, you know, you're in the security industry, how important is situational awareness, right? Oh, I mean, that's like, it's everything, right? You're in a um, club, a bar or a big crowd, or you don't, it's always changing. Right. And so there's a lot of people that talk about left to bang, get off the X, uh, uh, you know, how to spot the anomaly and all that. So situational awareness is everything. Well, how do you, if, if situational awareness was flawless, which it isn't, Nobody would get into car accidents. Nobody would get shot. Nobody would get stabbed. Nobody would get punched. And so there's a lot of emphasis put on situational awareness, which is accurate and necessary. So I'm not, for anyone who's a selective listener, I'm not attacking that because, you know, like our program is broken down into three phases. D1, detect. D2, defuse. D-E-F-U-S-E. D3, defend. Detect and avoid defuse and de-escalate and if push comes to shove defend and so i'm huge on situational awareness but what i recognized was an was an accidental drill i was doing in the 80s called the sucker punch drill where i put on a mouth guard my training excuse me my training partner put on 16 ounce boxing gloves and and his job was to just start talking to me and whatever he said, it was like an improv class. So if I was doing it with you, I'd go, uh, hey, man, the boss wants his money. You know, we gave you an extra week. And you couldn't go, uh, what are you talking about? I didn't borrow any money from a loan yeah. shark. It was an improv. You'd have to say, hey, man, I like, uh, like I need another day. Give me another day. And so like in that case, you might be, if this was you, I go, hey, the boss wants his money. You're not going to headbutt. You're not going to headbutt and do a jump back kick to the loan shark's muscle. Right. Because you know they're going to kill you or your family because you right. And so I would create these scenarios that would evolve into something violent where you had to protect yourself, but they forced you to improve your situational awareness, your self-awareness. And most importantly, something nobody practices is the verbal de-escalation distraction. So in our system, we're so microscopic. We talk about that moment where protective becomes preemptive what's the moment when you go oh fuck and this is happening to you versus that nano moment before where you read a pre-contact cue and you go i need to move now right and and so i figured out you know what our biggest specialty is designing very very realistic and relevant scenarios and i do them for tier one teams SWAT teams all the way down to, you know, like right now, uh, one of the parts of my company is training other martial arts and self-defense, uh, even security companies. How do you bring in my decades of research to enhance the safety, reliability, and effectiveness of your team or your students or whatever? And um, so it was an interesting thing, but the, the actual spear, which wasn't an acronym when it first happened, it was you know, I'd be standing this close to like, you know, my, my assistant who's got the boxing gloves on, I got a mouth guard on 
And you know, I'll use this Bob here because he's got hands. And and I'd be here like this, and the guy would go, Hey man, I told you to stay away from my girlfriend or whatever. And I, you know, so I go, listen, listen, dude, you know, like uh, apparently you guys are taking a break. That's like you'd have to, you know, right, and then well, and, and he might be stay the fuck away from her, but you like you wouldn't flip the guy there in real life. What would you do if somebody would you stay away from my girlfriend? So this hands up here like this, and all of a sudden it's like whack, I, I get hit with that hand, and we're wearing. I'm wearing a mouth guard. He's got 60 ounce gloves on. And I realized, I realized this, that in the ring where I'm moving around with him like this, zigging and zagging, he, you know, I have no problem parrying and slipping. And sometimes I get hit. But when I was talking and I was inside the reactionary gap, like way closer, like you would be in a conversation, the brain couldn't adjust to the sudden violence. And a magical thing happened because my, my athletic skill set was okay. I'll slip. I'll parry. I'll I'll bob and weave. I'll I'll do. Oh, I know Wing Chun. I'll do a bong sao. I live. You know, whatever it is, your brain's trying to do wax on, wax off when you learn martial arts. Yep. But when proximics is a huge thing and suddenness is a huge thing. So these are two two factors that we've identified that that if a stimulus, a violent stimulus, is introduced too quickly your body's survival system, like the limbic system just says, and I always explain it like this, and that's why I brought up the situational awareness. Situational awareness is a conscious cognitive skill set. If I say to you, why did you move your principal or why did you get up and, and shift tables or why did you, you know, why did you uh, uh, stop in the doorway there and then back off? You might say I had a bad feeling, which is intuition, but your cognitive brain has to go, don't go in there, don't stand there, move away now, grab his arm, he's reaching for a weapon, right? That's your cognitive brain. That doesn't happen by accident. So, so when we explain it fully, and, and I don't think a lot of people do as an effective job as they could, you know, what makes up the, the, the tactical trinity of good situational awareness is blending instincts, intuition, and intelligence, what we call the three eyes. Um, but here's the thing, and I love using this example, you need good situational awareness to drive safely, correct? And right. so if you're a good driver, you have good situational awareness, but do good drivers get into car accidents? Yes. yes. Not because of their driving, because of a bad driver. Right. right. So in, so you're a good driver with good situational awareness and you're sitting at a light looking around and all of a sudden some asshole who's texting fucking rear ends you or goes through the light and t-bones you did your driving skill make a difference in that accident no did your situational awareness make a difference in that accident no guess what happened in the accident if the speed was severe enough to trigger the airbag the airbag deploys and the airbag was designed to pop up and prevent your head from going through a windshield or the steering column from crushing your chest. And so the airbag is designed to create a buffer between you and impact. Well, the startle flinch is the body's organic airbag that even if I'm a good driver, meaning a good fighter, exactly. Even if I'm a good driver and in the metaphor, a good fighter, and even if I've got good situational awareness, I, I'm looking for brake lights and shit in the road, meaning I'm looking for pre-contact cues. I can still get sucker punched. I can still all of a sudden a gun comes out, a knife comes out. I can still be, you know, you know, two guys are, are waiting for an opportunistic moment to uh, grab my cell phone and I'm walking down the street and all of a sudden my phone rings and I do this. And I go, oh shit, you know, hey, I can't talk to you right now because I'm trying to be situationally aware. Bang, right? I get, right? It, 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 right? It real life happens. And so... In 1987-ish, I concocted this drill called the Sucker Punch Drill, where we would take scenarios, we would have to role play through them, and at any point during the scenario, the attacker could hit you anywhere in your body. And what would happen is, so if I said to you, hey man, you know, I haven't eaten in a few days, can you, can you, spare, can you spare a dollar, right? And so you'd be here like this and you go, 
you know, and I don't know, you might go, hey man, get away from me. Or you might go, cause it's improv. You might go, yeah, sure, man. So I'm like this. So whatever you say, so let's role play here. Let's do it right now. And you pretend you're going to blow me off. You don't like homeless guys. Hey man, can you spare a dollar? You know, no, you gotta have business. come on, man, spare. I'm like, give me a buck. You know, like, you know wham, like, like the guy's on you. Like while you're talking, you're going now let's do it again. This time you're going to you say, Hey man, yeah, let me give you a couple of bucks, but don't, don't, don't buy a drink, man. Go get some food. I go, hey, hey, man, can you spare a couple bucks for a meal? Hey, man, don't. Oh, thank you so much. And so, you know, it's it's goofy for people who are watching the video. But what would happen is if I said to you, what would you do if like a homeless guy tried to sucker punch you and steal all your money? You'd go, well, if I'm a Taekwondo expert, I would kick him. If I'm a grappler, I'm going to double leg him. If I'm a boxer, I'm going to hit him with an uppercut. If I'm Krav Maga, I'm going to do this. Every martial art creates a theoretical response to every confrontation. Right. But real life, what we call evidence-based training, suggests the neuroscience suggests that ain't what's going to happen. And, right. and, if, and if you look at dashboard videos, body cam, if you look at uh, uh, surveillance videos, CCTV, and so on and so forth, you don't see people looking cool in real fights. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of scrambling, a lot of fear. And you did the gesture before your body's survival system. And this is the statement when I do like professional education training to uh, executive protection specialists and other, I say, listen, situational awareness is a conscious cognitive skill set. You got to learn to blend your intuition and then spot the anomaly and then start making decisions. However, when conscious cognitive situational awareness is compromised, your body's survival system picks up the slack. So when I go, oh shit, that was close, and I flinch to cover my head, it's because my limbic system, the, re the reptilian brain, said, hey, dumbass, you know, <laughs> you missed that. Let me deploy our airbag and cover, right? If you ask a paramedic friend, a firefighter friend, where there's always trauma during a car accident where somebody wasn't wearing their seatbelt and went through the windshield, they will always tell you hands, forearm, head. And that's because now for, if you go through a windshield, how, do you, how could you possibly have trauma on your hands and your forearms? Because you would go through right first. Well, that's because faster than your head can hit the windshield, those hands come up. And if you look at knife, if you look at knife forensics wounds and knife attacks, always trauma on the hands and forearms. And if you look at execution style shootings and even gunfights, you'll see hand, you know, bullet, bullet uh, holes on forearms and hands. So I'm, we make a joke. It's, it's not really a funny joke, but it's a funny joke that, hey, good news and good bad news. The flinch is faster than a speeding bullet. That's the good news. Well, what's right. the bad news is it doesn't stop the bullet, right? right. So, because we will show in, in our law enforcement class, you know, you'll see, you know, we got, we got pictures where you go, look, like I go to shoot you. And it's not that, they, that is, the flinch isn't literally faster than the speeding bullet. But for me to, for me to draw my weapon and go, you motherfucker and do all that during that whole moment, your body's going, oh, fuck. It's got time to flinch. But imagine how fast that happens, right? That it's, it's, it's lightning fast and very accurate. So all of that, so back in the 87, the first time I did this, I did it for over an hour. And at the end of it, I had like, like swollen eyes, a mouse under each eye, fat lips, bleeding from my mouth guard, you know, bleeding from my mouth. I literally had the shit punched out of me. And, <laughs> you know, what's an interesting thing is like, like when you, like, why would you do a drill where you kept getting the shit punched out of you? I knew I was onto something because every so often I'd be there like this, where this time it was like, bang, and I get hit and like that. And then another time I'd pick up a little pre-contact cue and the hand would come up or this side would come around. And I, but it wasn't right. like classical. It was like, whoa, what the fuck was that? And, and it would bounce off my forearm or my shoulder or my head. It wasn't pretty but it was working. And whenever I try to actually like insert my complex motor skill, like, oh, he's coming with a, with a haymaker. 
you probably know this from training, action is faster than reaction. Any professional listening to this knows action's faster than reaction. In a close quarter ambush, who's action? The good guy or the bad guy? Yeah, the bad I mean, guy. Right. It's always the bad guy. The bad guy moves in an, the, the, the operative word is the ambush. In an ambush, who's moves, who moves first? The bad guy. That's why it's an ambush. So yeah. from, a, from a physics perspective, you're always going to be late from a math physics per, per, uh, perspective. So an attack is a cognitive skill. Like someone goes, I, if I'm sitting here, if I'm leaning against the bar here like this, and you and I are having words, and I go, you know what, I'm going to grab my drink here and smash him in the face. I'll go here, I'll target glance my drink, I reach for it, I pick it up, and I smash you. Well, the, 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 the kinesiological sequence of picking up the drink and smashing it across your face is no different than me loading a punch and throwing, when you look at the kinetic chain of both movements. So we started breaking things down like that, and in between those shifts in my body as I change position, grab the improvised weapon, lock and load it and drive it, that was enough time for your three eyes, instincts and intuition to go, fuck. And if your cognitive brain gets hijacked, so executive function is if I say to you, what would you do here? Your executive function downloads a theoretical answer. If it gets hijacked, the body flinches. Think about a time where you're out camping or walking in the woods or you went in a shed and you walk and all of a sudden uh, you see in a reflection a spider web and a spider, right? Everyone's done that, but you just see it. You're, yep. you're, you're walking like this and you see it and you go, ah, oh, fuck. And then you're like, Bleh, right? And you're doing something to move it. But think about another time you walked into a spider web. What was the physiological difference? When you walk into the spider web, you're here like this. You're like, I think it's over here. And you're like, you walk in, it's like, right? and you start, you're doing this shit, right? Um, what's funny about that is one was conscious cognitive situational awareness that made you pause, assess, and go, okay, I'm going to find a different route or I'm going to move that web. One was a surprise attack and it bypassed Right. Like how, how uncool do you look when you walk into a spider web and go, <laughs> you look like if you're trying to like, if you're trying to impress a lady there, you're oh, done, right? Yeah. It's over. So I, I want your listeners to laugh at that and, 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 and to understand that a stimulus that gets introduced too quickly, knife, gun, club, punch, sudden violence, or a spider web has the same uh, neurological impact on your body's survival system. Your hands come up to protect your head. You try to push away danger. And what we figured out in that moment was when you, when you cover your head, if you're not being compressed by the attack, meaning the bad guy's not on you, there's not pressure on you, your hands will extend, your fingers splay, and your arms go outside 90. And we figured out through classical conditioning and a bunch of very, very cool drills how to weaponize the startle flinch. And we insert it into people's toolbox, personal defense kit, uh, uh, tactical arsenal. In the same way, if you had an old car that you restored, right. and you got a fucking new engine and new brakes and new wheels, and you're like, man, this is badass. Let's go. And then I, then you go, you know what? What's it missing? Well, guess what? Life uh, um, airbags save lives, right? So you would take that and you would go, I need to install an airbag, not because I'm a bad driver, because there's other bad drivers out there. And the metaphor here is the bad driver is the thug, the opportunistic thug, the the uh, the stalker, like in the case of EP, you know, wh why would any VIP need executive protection or security? Well, be because their profile makes them a potential threat. And and so they've got like a special type of asshole that <laughs> that is pursuing them, which is different than the opportunistic, you know, person who you're just walking down the street, minding your own business and some, you know, crackhead wants to steal your phone and sell it.
Right. What's funny, when I watch baseball, they show the highlights where like, there's, there's a foul ball going into the crowd. You'll see the people that do the reactionary, but then you'll see the person that makes this insane catch where they're so aware of it coming. Yeah. Now, I guess what I'm with you is that person that caught the ball and didn't shy away from it obviously was aware of what was going on, his surroundings, knew what was 100%. going on. But is there a way to trade yourself? or How do how would you suggest someone trades himself or to be that guy that, or girl that catches the ball as opposed to... Yeah. I, 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 I picked up my phone because I was going to try and uh, um, show you uh, another great question, but I was going to try and show you from a, uh, um, a presentation here if I can find it. Um, cause we use these baseball pictures all the time. I like, I like using real life pictures to show wow. people your reticular activating system. Like my, my, my system is truly, you know, like if you look at Spear university, it says the science of self-defense because everything that we teach is run through a physiological, a biomechanical physics, kinesiology component, and then the psychology. So every drill we can do, we, we do, uh, can be explained. We use baseball pictures all the time to drive that, that, that home where I'll go, look at all these people here, how they're moving. Here's, here's a broken bat going into the crowd. And you see people here like this doing that. I go, they're doing, they're doing the three different uh, startle flinches that we teach, uh, primal, protective, and then tactical, um, which coincides incidentally with you look at the body's reflex movement without any training, it's primal gross motor, then it's a gross motor movement. And then if you're trying to run, that's a complex motor movement. So a bomb goes off and everyone goes, fuck, right? And you're trying to maintain balance, that's primal gross motor. Then when you do this and you're like, what the fuck was that? And you're like looking around, trying to figure out where to go, that's gross motor. Then when you start to run, that's complex, right? Just in, So we actually, reverse engineered the entire program to mirror those like survival phases and stages of human movement, which is why we can teach people so quickly. And it doesn't matter if you're a black belt in jujitsu, uh, uh, Krav Maga, or it's like, it's again, it's the car analogy. You're an amazing driver. You got an amazing car. The car's your body. You as the driver is like your nav system. You know where you're going all the time but you just never had an airbag installed or you didn't realize how valuable the airbag was. Right. Uh, and if you could just accept the fact that, that again, using that, I, I love hammering this metaphor home, you're a, a great driver and, and, and you've got great situational awareness and then somebody rear ends you or drives into you or jumps the curb while you're driving 60 miles an hour, you know, you know six car lengths behind the guy in front of you, 10 and two o'clock and somebody cuts over it doesn't matter how good you are in that and it's the same thing you know in real life in in that ambush but you asking me a great question about the baseball stuff so we show those pictures too where where everyone's like chaos and then there's another scene where everyone's reaching for the ball yeah. so the the big big difference there is the awareness factor and we have a, a simple maxim that everyone should memorize and, and then ask themselves, what does this mean? But if you have no awareness, you have no chance. And I like so that. I, uh, you know, I go, you know, I make this joke when I'm teaching, I go, you know, uh, you stand up on stage and you go, I'm a black belt in Krav Maga, I'm a black belt in Kung Fu, I'm a black belt in Tai Chi, I'm a black belt in Aikido, I'm a black belt, and you're listing like these 70 black belts you have, and somebody walks up and while you're talking, punches you in the face and knocks you out, is that you had no awareness that that was going to happen. <laughs> if you've got skill and no awareness, you still risk getting hit. If you've got awareness and no skill, you still risk getting hit. What you want is a modicum of Oh, you need to have awareness. And now the skill might be, and it's not about the fighting skill. It takes courage to disengage. There's a lot of people that are dead and injured because their ego or their fear kept them in the wrong place at the wrong time for way too long. Right. right. Um, so using the baseball analogy, I always make this joke that if you show up to a game with a glove and you're not one of the players, 
you know where the balls go. So a lot of these great catches from people, they have a glove with them. And some of them are bare, are, are, are bare, bare handed, which is amazing. Yeah, but a lot of drop it too. What's that? And those, and those keep hold on to the beer too while they're following to catch yeah, that ball. Yeah. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. And, and, you know, that person bought the tickets to that game last year, right? They know they're going there. They know they're sitting there. They are bringing a glove to the game. They know foul balls go there or home runs go there. And, and they're doing this with the beer and, you know, they're waiting for it. It's like, oh, fuck. Ah, shit. Ah, fuck over there. Oh, here it is. And they're doing amazing stuff. And you're right. Like, I got lots of pictures where even people flinching and they're holding the beer and the beer's not spilling, but they're covering, they're covering their head. Um, listen, uh, let, me, let me share a story with you and your, your, your audience about situational awareness. I'm teaching a seminar many, many years ago, and I'm explaining all this. And I said, every victim who lived, who lived to tell the tale said they had a bad feeling before the attack. That means that everybody goes, you know, there's something wrong here. There's something wrong with this guy. There's something. And how many times have you had bad relationship, bad business dealing, uh, uh, an incident with, with a client? And afterwards, you're like fucking peeling the onion, thinking back and you go, I knew something was off there, but I couldn't spot it. There was something, you know, right. you get screwed in business. You go, I, I, there was something off with that guy from the beginning. And I thought it was just me. And but when we say like kind of like as a as, as a reprimand to ourselves i knew that was going to happen if you knew it then why didn't you stop it yeah that's very interesting you know but that's because because our cognitive dissonance our little bubble that we want our romantic self doesn't want the premonition to be true so our instincts and our intuition said there's something off with this guy and then you know, our brain kind of shuts that down because I always, I always say like intuition whispers in our ear and then fear shuts it down. And it's not fear. When I use fear in an alpha, you know, podcast, like this is alpha, right? It's like, you know, we're not going to have like, like, like sheep and, and, uh, um, you know, people that support sheep dogs. Right. Well, yeah, but it's but most of the podcasts I'm on are martial artists, you know, cops, military, athletes. So we're like, you know, we're and I say this in a loving way. We're control freaks. We get up. We want to work out at this time. We want shit to work right. We're like, why didn't that person hold the door for me? Like I would have hold it, held the door for them. We're, we're like, no, let's get let's let's get after life. And um, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a crazy thing that part of our brain when we see something wrong there's a part of our brain especially if you have i'm i'm a bit of a romantic when i want the i abhor violence that's something a lot of people don't realize about me i abhor violence which is why i study it i abhor it so much so that's why my system is based on behavior and neuroscience right because if i just if i liked violence i would just show people how to crack people in the head that's right. That's easy to do. I don't teach people how to fight. I teach them how to not fight. But I give them the, the self-awareness and courage to not fight by teaching them how to protect themselves. Right? So it's, 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 it's very subtle. It's very different. It's very three-dimensional, emotional, psychological, physical arsenal, not just focusing on the physical. But, but you know, why that happens, you know, we talk about intuition. Why do we shut that down? It's because good people don't want bad shit to happen so you know your brain initially goes no like like we all go into denial you can get a flat tire on the way to an important gig and you don't start changing the tire right away which would be the tactical thing to do right. <laughs> what do you do you get a flat tire you pull over you slam the door you look at the tire and you go i don't fucking believe this you put your hands on your hips like buzz lightyear well you're in denial when you do that right you're not tactical Right. So that's what the brain does when you, you know, you know, you hear somebody, you know, trying to break into your house and you're like, are you fucking kidding me? Holy fuck. And then you're like, fuck, grab your gun or grab the dog, or grab the baseball bat or whatever your setup is. Now, there's going to be people listening to that that go, no, like, I don't do that. As soon as I hear something, I'm like, boom, I'm on there. That takes training. 
Right. That takes reps, right? Right. So, you know, in the beginning, you know, your first fight, you're fucking, you know, nervous as shit. And then if you keep fighting by the 10th fight, you're nervous as shit for a minute. And then you're like, and that's not even necessarily true. Everyone's different. Mike Tyson used to puke before his fights. Right. Right. But you wouldn't know that when he'd walk outside. I make this joke, you know, and you release video, right? Or is it just audio? Yeah, video too. Yep. Okay, cool. So, so um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Trevor Bur Burbick that Mike fought. Um, and it was one of the most devastating knockouts where Burbick actually, I think it was Burbick, I might be screwing it up, where Mike hit him and Burbick actually bounced off three sides of the ring. He got hit. He, he hit one, lost his footing, hit the other one. It was like a WWE match, right? Mike wasn't hitting him. The guy was just like bouncing off these, you know. But 15 minutes before the fight, let's say I've got all access passes and everyone watching this video is with me. And I go, yeah, guys, listen, I got backstage pass, all access. I'm going to let you get a sneak peek into the pre-fight preparation of these fucking massive gladiators don't take any pictures don't say anything come with me come with me and i open the door to burbick's room and he's a fucking huge man and he's walking like this in his room and he's like punching his face and the door opens and he goes the fuck are you guys doing in here get out of here i'm concentrating and we close the door and you're all like like holy shit and then but here's the most important part we're boxing fans but we don't know who these guys are so if you're playing along with this visual, pretend you don't know who Trevor Burbick is. You just know he's on the main card and you have no idea who Mike Tyson is. You just know he's his opponent. And then we go, let's go to Mike Tyson's room. And then you're over here. We walk, we walk in, we open the door as we see this other guy go. And he's throwing up in a pail and we close right. the door. We go, yeah, that was fucking weird. And then, I, and then I turn to you and I go, Hey, let's bet. Who do you want to bet on? Everyone bets on Burbick because we, we don't understand the physiology of fear. That's the probably the most important thing that I discovered in the 80s. Remember, I started doing scenarios in 1980. Right. Right. And I did them. I closed my school in 1993 to start teaching military and law enforcement exclusively, which is what I've been doing full time since 1993. But I did scenarios like Fight Club-esque scenarios for 13 fucking years and one of the things so what emerged out of that were three kind of cool things one is the spear system evolved yep the other thing was my high gear my my force on force training suits which you may or may not have seen they're kind of badass yep. but they they revolutionized force on force training they did what simunitions did for force on force training back back in the day high gears done for control and arrest and combatives. And now we've got MMA guys and all sorts of people using it. But the other third thing that came out of the eighties, which is kind of amazing is uh, my no fear program, K-N-O-W fear, no fear. What I found out was we would do these force on force events and there'd be like, like a guy there that would come in and they're, they're pretty well known in Montreal. I used to live in Montreal, Canada. And people come in, they'd sign a waiver, but they weren't, and they, they do the thing and they sign up for this self-defense, like, you know, uh, scenario where we would, we didn't have high gear at the time. We would wear like hockey gauntlets and a uh, hockey helmet with a cage. We, we eventually got the super safe helmets from Kyokushin Kai, from karate, from Japan, yep. where Taekwondo chest guards, baseball shin guards. It was like, we were like Frankenstein suits and, and we would be, and, and, and we would use, most of your audience won't even know what this is, VHS, RCA VHS tapes. We were like, what the fuck is that? Google it. It was like way before, you know, we had uh, uh, solid state hard drives that we could videotape shit with, with the phone. Big fucking camera. And we would do these equivalent of Fight Club, but the difference was we would always create a scenario. You're here, you're waiting for a bus stop, two guys approach you, blah, blah, blah. And we would do these scenarios, record them, and, and I started to attract people and people would come in there just to experience a synthetic fight before a real fight. And there were times, man, where a guy would come in, cauliflower ears, broken nose, you could see like, you know, you know like healed nose, you know, 
he'd come in, yeah, I'm here for a seminar, you know, sign like that, blah, 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 yeah, what, what do you do? Tell, yeah, I'm the doorman at such and such a club. And then occasionally there'd be like, like a 120 pound woman, you'd come in very meek, sitting there like that. Clearly the, the had been uh, victimized by a sexual assault or some other type of assault and was coming there for some cathartic purposes. Somebody had said to her, why don't you try a self-defense course? And I've seen, and this is like the Trevor Burbick, Mike Tyson metaphor. I've seen guys who've been in a hundred fights with the busted nose and the cauliflower ears roll over in these scenarios and tap out, metaphorically tap out, okay, I'm done. And I've seen the little girl fight her ass off. And I was, as a person who studies human behavior, I was like, what the fuck is that? And eventually what I realized is that the people who manage their fear manage to fight. It doesn't guarantee victory, but it guarantees at least you're in the fucking fight, right? which is what you need to do, right? And so I'll say that line again, because it's pretty potent. The people who manage their fear manage to fight. And uh, when you combine that with like, you know, instinctive movement, natural movement, you know, we would do things where, where I'd say, if you could break contact from this one or two or three attackers, we would do multiple sale and shit. And we wouldn't teach like grappling and kicking and striking. It would be, you're going to get mugged here, or you're going to get dragged to a secondary crime scene here. Your job is to interrupt that. Your job is to fucking stop that, break contact. And I had in my school, which was like four times the length of my garage here, the fight would happen down here and in, in we, you know, we'd set up like a makeshift, you know, environment. And then, and then you would, you would try to break contact as quickly as you could and get like 40 feet away. So you'd have to sprint out of that, but it might be literally like, if we're looking at Bob's here where, you know, we're like this and I get, a, I, you know, I, I, I get approached here, you know, and I'm like, hey, man, I don't want trouble. And I'd be like, oh, fuck, boom, hit this guy, smash this guy and just run. And it was like shitty, ugly, open palm, smash it like a palm strike, shove a guy. Knock right. But you had like real role players who were 180 pounds, 200 pounds, 220, trying to grab you. They're wearing like plexiglass masks. When they got hit, they reacted you know, in a way that was, was you, you can punch a heavy bag as hard as you want. It's not going to give you a realistic reaction. And if you spar with somebody, the body in that context is so much more resilient. So you could spar three rounds and go wham and, and hit a guy with a good body shot. And he goes, mm, good shot, you know, fires back. You still don't understand um, the opening and the opportunity that might create in a street encounter. When when I was in Secret Service, you, you part of the training you had to do three months to graduate down Fletzy, which is Glencoe, Georgia, under the Department of Homeland Security, where you're with BOP, you do all this stuff. But for the viewers, basically FBI, everyone's down there, Capitol Police trained to get this basic thing before you go do your three to four months, your specific uh, whatever your thing was. So down there, one of the things I didn't like was that the training was great, but the role playing wasn't realistic because they're programmed. Right to read a line or reenact a certain scenario. They don't know how to, based on my actions, I can't change the outcome because they're still gonna act this way, which isn't realistic to me. Right. I get up to Maryland and the training was, yeah, you're gonna know arrest techniques, uh, how to deal with one or two subjects in a room, all this stuff, but it's like now, these role players or instructors or other your classmates who are whatever, but there's also not gonna, it might be dark out. There might be music playing. You might be sprayed with water. You might get OC sprayed. So that training that you talk about, that's the life-saving stuff where it's actually, yeah. your trade don't survive. Yeah, we have, a, and it's interesting to say that because I've, I've taught at Fletzy for years. I've also taught at Beltsville and and and, and other, other cool locations. Um, uh, the... And it's one of the things I emphasize, all those places. At one point, Fletzy had over 200 of my high gear suits. Uh, everyone in PTD went through it, but this is like decades ago. And, and I'm sure my stuff has been weaned out and washed out. Um, there's, there's a lot of, um, it's unfortunate because as an outsider, I'm bringing in 
current research, you know, and, and, uh, and it's hard also, you know, when you're trying to graduate 30,000 people a year, like Fletzy is, you know, but, you know, like my spear system, which is again, the study of the startle flinch and its value in an, in a, an immediate action, close quarter encounter inside the reactionary gap. That was a fun sentence, right? Like, like when I first taught it to, to, to them, I, like I did multiple courses for a couple of years. And at one point the spear was actually cited and integrated in 32 lesson plans down at Fletzy. When the cadre that I trained started to move on, this, the spear system became a forearm block. People took the entire neuroscience and the connection to physiology, where I would explain the start of flinch. We, those guys back then were showing the baseball pictures in the 90s. Yeah, right? They weren't in that, uh, 2004, 2005. Yeah. And so, you know, it depends on who you get. But now it was like, oh, the forearm block. And you might have seen even somebody teaching you finger splayed outside 90 using different language. You know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and it just turned into another, you know, step one, step two, step three. And that's actually called block-based training. And the most effective way to, to educate somebody is called brain-based, it's called deep practice. And, and it's what we've been doing since the eighties, but you know, you can lead a horse to water, man. You can't make him drink. There's going to be a lot of people listening to this who go, you know, I fucking hate Tony Blower, you know, like just right. Just because they're, they're but they listen to you. Well, but but because they're what they're listening to, what they're listening to is provocation. I say in all my classes this last week, and I taught. I said I'm going to say stuff to you to intentionally provoke you so that you have trouble sleeping tonight because your life or a client's life may depend on what you believe to be true. My job is to enhance your survivability, not blow smoke up your ass. If you're not integrating, uh. uh the, the physiology of survival and what your body does when executive function is hijacked. We had a guy in a class um, who was T-boned at an intersection, highly trained 20 year military veteran, guy I actually trained in 1993, you know, and, and hadn't seen him in decades. He, he's in the class, I'm like, holy shit, Jim, Tony, holy. And he said, when, when he had his car accident, who's sitting there and realized, fuck. So situational awareness didn't matter. Right. His driving skill didn't matter. And he said, my hands didn't come up to protect my head because I was on my steering wheel. And we explained that in the baseball pictures, anybody who's holding a bottle, popcorn, pizza, you mentioned it earlier, people are still doing shit with the beer in their hand. Your cross extensor chain, pushes away danger in the finger splay, your arms get outside 90. So we figured out how to weaponize that. But if you're holding on to something at the micro moment of the initial flinch, your body contracts and your hands come in. So if you're holding something, you will clamp down on it and it'll, it'll retain, it's kind of, it's kind of like, like a, a space in space, if you will. So if I were like this, when, if I was on my phone holding a drink and you sucker punched me, I might do this. If my hands were free, maybe I do this. Right. You know, um, hang on one sec. Something popped up on my screen. Um, the uh, uh, it's it's interesting, but it's it's studying that physiology. So if you're a police officer with a flashlight looking at ID here, and also the guy does something hinky hinky, you're not doing this and drawing your weapon or your taser. If if he goes and he tackles you or throws a punch or reaches for your gun your reaction is going to be fuck and you don't realize this and you want to know that you know whenever i see like a cop getting dragged by a car and everyone's talking about all these ridiculous things it's the startle flinch response that's making him get dragged by the car he had a hand on the car when the guy tried to escape and the cop flinched on shit and doesn't realize that his hand clamped down on there and you can't peel your fingers off fast enough so all of this is, this is another type of awareness. In our training, we break down what's the difference between scenario-specific awareness and attack-specific awareness. How do you get out of a headlock? Well, getting out of a headlock, depending on your style, your system, 
You're right. Like it might be like I'm in here like this. Bob has me in a headlock, and I'm like, oh shit. You know, is it smack him in the nuts? Is it gouge his eyes, chop him in the throat? Or am I sitting back and taking him over my leg and mounting him? Well, if I gouged his eyes and hit him in the nuts and I was in an MMA fight or a jiu-jitsu match, I just fucked the guy up and got disqualified. So this is an interesting conversation because if I, I'll ask people, do you know how to get out of a headlock? Yeah. Do you know how to get a head, out, out of a headlock in a grappling match? Yeah. What is it? And it's, you know, it's typically some sort of jujitsu type, pull the guy back over your leg, roll over, mount him, pull the arm up, stretch out. Okay. I got an arm bar. I got a mount. I got that, whatever it is. I go, so you're really good at that. Yeah. So when your brain gets really good at things, it's, there's no such thing as muscle memory in the literal sense. You, you create neural pathways. And when you have a neural pathway, it's what your brain wants to do. If I say, for example, you turn around an ATM machine, you're here like this, you're putting money back in your, your pants and you're a, you're a third degree black belt in Taekwondo. And a guy goes up to you, walks up to you and he goes, give me your fucking wallet. He's got no gun. He's just here like this. He's give me your fucking wallet now. You're a Taekwondo guy. What are you thinking? If you want to fight, are you thinking I'm going to throw a Superman punch? Are you thinking I'm going to double leg him? Or are you thinking I'm going to kick this guy in the face? I'm going to side kick him, a round kick him, a back kick. You're, you're, you're going to pull from the Taekwondo arsenal. Now you're an MMA guy. You're here like this. You turn around, put money in your pocket. And a guy goes, give me your fucking wallet. Now you might do the Superman punch, double leg the guy, take the guy down and hit him. Because you're going to draw from your repertoire. And then so you're Krav Maga, you're going to pull from Krav Maga. You're, you're, you're boxing, you're going to hit the guy with a hand. You're not going to be a boxer and go, I'll double leg the guy. So these are neural patterns and they become an unconscious bias, meaning your brain is looking for opportunities to make useful what you got good at. If you didn't practice something else, why would your brain do that? Right. You wouldn't think to do it. So this is really an interesting thing because, I mean, I get super, super deep in, into this stuff where our unconscious bias can actually influence our situational awareness, influence it as in compromise it. Because maybe the safest thing for me to do there was fucking run. Maybe the safest thing for me to do there was to deescalate, right? But I immediately default to some sort of motor skill that I got, that I got good at. And, and uh, it's, 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 it's fascinating. It's fascinating to me. But what I was, one of the things I was saying is like, you know, I was making fun of people not liking what I'm, what I had to say is it's, it's, it's this airbag metaphor. I'm trying to make you safer, regardless of your background and, and the resistance that I'll get sometimes is where somebody goes, yeah, well, I don't flinch or, or, uh, and I hear that a lot, or I hear, why are you teaching people to flinch? That's stupid. I'm not teaching people to flinch. I'm teaching them how to convert the flinch and weaponize it. It's the bad guy or the perception of danger and, and risk that makes us flinch. Right. So it's it's a whole interesting. I mean, I could talk for hours about it. As you, as you, yeah. I love this shit. We'll do a part two. We'll do a part four. Whatever. But uh, before I let you go, Tony, where can people find you on social media? Um, which websites should they go to to find out if they want to sign up for one of your seminars or bring you in to teach? Yeah. So um, the best, the, my main corporate page, which will show you information. Like, if, let's say you've never heard about me, and you want to go. Well, what's the spear? What's high gear? What's no fear? Go to, and I'll send you the links. You can put them in the show notes. But go to the page. Blower, my last name. Oh no, wait a minute. Yeah, it's Blower. I, I just it's a new website that we, we built four new websites, you know, because of the lockdown and everything. Um, Blowertrainingsystems.com. B-L-A-U-E-R trainingsystems.com. That's our main page, which will take you to all the other pages because we've got a high gear site, we've got a, a spear system site, which is all of our training. If you're interested in our instructor stuff. You can access it from there. If you're interested in, like, we've got a Be Your Own Bodyguard course for the general public. Um, yep. 
and uh, we got all sorts of stuff. I'm obviously I'm very active on Instagram. I don't outsource my social media. So any comment you see is from me. If I answer you, I try to answer everybody as best I, I can. About uh, the Elvis Presley, um, the demo thing on Instagram, you post very, very interesting. It made you kind of think and uh, you, you talked about a lot about those type of principles and way of thinking today. So but your social yeah. media you learn something on all your posts and i think that's really good yeah i try to i you know sometimes like like a a 2200 character post might take me two three days to write you know uh when i first write it it's like you know like it's four thousand characters and instagram only allows you to do like just just at 2200 and i'm trying to go like and a lot of times like that one so many people didn't even read my post they saw the thing and they did like, kind of like the McDojo joke, you know, oh, nice, nice. Uh, wow, Elvis was high as a kite there. Or wow. I gotta, I gotta get a gee from that. Or something like that, right. What's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so you know, in, in, in hindsight, because I'm trying to inspire people. Listen, I, you know, I give every week, like what I think are free lessons in self-awareness. 100%. And, and personal safety. And I spend hours, you know, nobody pays me for that shit, but sometimes I pick the wrong graphic where like that was a really, the, that was a very important post. Cause what I was saying in that post was your teacher's not your teacher. Your teacher's the attacker in the street. And that if you, if you look at an actual video of a violent encounter, and you sit back and you do like a true after action, you go, how would I have responded differently? Would I have done the same thing? What do I know about situational awareness or de-escalation or violence to handle this encounter? And if you answer that honestly, that informs you of where your, what your Achilles heel is in any, in any moment. Learning to reverse engineer and assess based on looking at real life stuff makes you more resilient it's what really makes you safer as opposed to just going yeah i wouldn't let him get that close so i don't stand that way or i would like you look at every shooting every active shooter event how many comments are just that's why i carry that's why i carry that's why yeah. i carry and i'm like hey listen unless your gun is duct taped to your hand yeah right and you're you're eating you're Honey, can you cut my steak? And all of a sudden something goes off and you go, fuck, and you flinch. And now you're now you're here. Oh shit. Okay, now I can move. Right. Like if unless your gun is duct taped your hand, when a sudden violent encounter happens, you still need to weather the ambush. You still need to convert the flinch. If you're really close and you were the intended target of the attack, you may need to, and usually do, need to fight somebody empty hand before you can transition to your weapon and i'll show people around my holster here you know but like like we'll i'll be here like this talking to somebody going hey man i'm in trouble i'm trying to back away here and then all of a sudden it's like oh shit you're nailing the guy and then eventually if you had to maybe you're coming out and, and you, you know if if threat discriminating you went shit this is a deadly force situation did you have to cover push away danger trap somebody pin somebody and then transition People don't practice that way. They practice drawing their weapon and shooting. Completely necessary skill. 100%. But if you don't weather the ambush, you don't get to your complex motor skills. And so, yeah, <laughs> I can go well, on. We, 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 this show could be like days long if you don't cut me off. So, so we'll end it here. Uh, Tony, thank you for this. Um, be safe. Continue changing uh, people's mindsets and uh, have uh, fun out there. Yeah, I appreciate it. I love the name of your, like I said, bucket lists. I got to be on the spear on the spear podcast because spear. I got to be on it. Love it. So, so I'm excited. I'm excited that uh, that we got to meet like this finally. And uh, and and if your audience digs it and you got like specific questions come in, happy to do another one and 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 make it even more, you know, informational. Hey, I got you know, what do you do here? We can do it's like answer Q and A and scenarios and shit like that. My, I mean, I'm, I'm out there working right now in this world as you, but eventually, maybe in a couple of months, we actually do it in person. It would be kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely, man.
Awesome, Tony. Well, thank okay. you. For that. Be safe. Thank you. Bye. Take care, bro. Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you liked what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon.